in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. We've been in Thessalonians. You say, preacher, this is the last chapter and we have one more night tomorrow. What are you going to do? I don't know. We'll find out. Come back tomorrow and see. Who knows? We might stand on our head or something. You never know what we'll do. But I want us to look in this chapter for a little while tonight. I have mentioned to you that in every chapter in 1 Thessalonians, the chapter ends with a reference to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm just going to read this whole chapter. There aren't a great deal of verses in it, 28 verses, and we'll just read it. and Then we'll spend a moment or two here tonight, and I'll try and be on Brian McBride time instead of Toby Weber time. Amen. All right. <laughs> I like to tease the preacher. We love the preacher and his family. I cannot tell you what a joy it has been to spend time with the Webbers this week, and especially with Lawrence and with Schofield. And uh, we have just enjoyed them. And uh, Brother and Sister Weber have been a blessing. They are dear to our hearts, and I thank the Lord for them. I'm glad the Lord let our paths cross somewhere along the way. The Bible said in First Thessalonians 5 and verse 1, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Well, I was reading that verse. I was reading in my mind those verses. I'm going to keep reading here in a minute. But back in chapter 4, did you notice that little phrase? Them which are asleep in Jesus will God bring with him? Did you ever think about that? If he's bringing them with him, then they are with him right now. Amen. Who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord 
that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now I'm going to preach on this chapter for a moment. And I'm going to pray first. And then I want to preach to you along the lines we've been using these titles. And I want to preach to you tonight on this subject. With the soon coming of the Lord in view, there's no time for apathy. Let's pray. Father, we do love you tonight. You've been good to us again today, Lord. You've blessed us exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. You have been our comfort. Lord, you have been our provider. Lord, you have helped us, encouraged us, enlightened us. We want to thank you for what you've done. We thank you, Lord, for keeping us. Even when we ourselves would wander away, we're kept by the power of God. Thank you that you're our shepherd and our God and our Savior. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, our elder brother, who died on the cross in our place. Thank you for the sweet Holy Spirit who has indwelt us and leads and guides us. Thank you for the brethren tonight, Lord. I appreciate being assembled together with the saints of God. Now I pray that you will glorify yourself. Help us tonight, Lord, physically. Give us the strength that we need. Help us, Lord, intellectually to know what we ought to know, but help us mostly spiritually tonight to be what you'd have us to be. Glorify yourself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm thinking about this passage tonight, and I'm thinking about a word, apathy. Someone said, preacher, what does the word apathy mean? Well, I looked it up, and it means to have a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. To lack interest, to lack enthusiasm, or to lack concern. I would say to you, that's a pretty good description of a lot of churches today. They lack interest in the things of God. They lack enthusiasm about the things of God. We can get excited about a ball game, but we have a hard time being excited about eternity. They lack concern. We get concerned about our finances, but it doesn't seem like we get concerned about souls that don't know Christ. So I'm talking to you tonight for a little bit about apathy. Now, Paul will do this uh, starting around verse number 12, verse, yeah, verse number 12, Paul's going to give us, he's going to get very specific about instructions for you and I in our Christian life. And those instructions have to do with our sanctification. Uh, we're set apart under God. We are positionally sanctified tonight. We are in Christ. That is our position and nothing can ever change that. But we are being practically sanctified as we go along in this life. And what I mean by that is we're learning to walk the way we ought to walk in our Christian life. But one of these days, I'll put it this way, we'll be perfectly sanctified in our experience. Amen? One fellow put it like this. I got saved from the penalty of sin when I was born again. Now I'm being saved from the power of sin day by day by day. But one day I'll be saved from the very presence of sin when I get in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that'll be a wonderful day. Say hallelujah right there. So I want to talk to you about that a little bit. But before 
Paul gets into those things, uh, and I've divided them tonight into three categories, but before he gets to that, he says some interesting things at the beginning of this passage. He says, but of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Now, if we use the law or the principle of first mention, when you talk about seasons, uh, times and seasons, we're talking about earthly things. Uh, The Bible talks about that back in the book of Genesis, about the seasons. And you know where some folks are looking for signs, and they're looking for signs of the coming of the Lord, and I understand the Bible tells us different things that will go on, but really the rapture of the church, uh, it, you can't find a sign for it. You just have to be ready for it. I've mentioned that to you this week. And so Paul talks to them about the times and the seasons, and he says to them, Yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, so cometh of the thief in the night. And then I want you to watch what Paul says. He uses some contrasts here. He said, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now, What Paul's going to do in these first 9, 10, 11 verses is he's going to really give us a description of things that characterize this lost world. How are they characterized? Well, first of all, delusion. Look what he said. He said, verse 3, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then suddenly destruction cometh upon them. You know, in the Old Testament, Jeremiah talked about this. He said, Ye have slightly healed the daughter of my people, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. And the world's clamoring for peace. And one of these days, somebody will step out on the scene and give them what they think is peace. But what they don't know is sudden destruction is about to come upon them. Delusion. And that is what the world, the world is deluded. And they've become, many have become reprobate in their thinking. Paul said in one place, pray that we have been delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Did you ever think about it? Those two things go together. Unreasonableness and wickedness. If you live a wicked life long enough, pretty soon you lose the ability to reason. You'll be unreasonable. You'll live in delusion. So Paul talks about delusion. But then he talks about darkness. Verse 4. But ye brethren are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So Paul said, here's what's going on in the world. They're filled with delusion. And he said, uh, uh, they're walking in darkness. They have no light. They think they have light, but they have none. Then he says this, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Here he's talking about dullness. You ever try, you ever find somebody in a deep sleep and try and get their attention, try and wake them up? They're dull to everything. And the world has become dull to the truth of the gospel and dull to what's right and wrong. So there's dullness. And then he says in verse number 7, For they that sleep, sleep in the night and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. So there's the fourth thing Paul would would characterize society. They are deluded. They are in darkness. They are in dullness. And they are in drunkenness. Now, you know what an old drunk, he just, all he's interested in is the drink. Nothing else matters to him. And every one of these things signify uh, someone that is unconcerned. Somebody that's deluded, they can't see why they should be concerned about the end of the world or the Lord Jesus coming back. Somebody that's in 
darkness. They can't see why they ought to be concerned about the coming of Christ. Somebody that's drunken, somebody that's dull, asleep, they can't see why they should be concerned. But you and I ought not be that way. You and I ought not be dull. And you and I ought not be deluded. And you and I ought not be in darkness. And you and I ought not live like a drunkard lives, caring only for the satisfaction of the flesh. You and I should be in the daytime. You and I should be sober. You and I should have concern about the times and the days that we live in. So Paul said, let us do this, verse 8, but let us who of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Now the sleep he's talking about there is not the same sleep earlier in the chapter. That's the sleep of dullness. This is the sleep of death. He's talking about them that are asleep in Christ. He said, whether we're alive, or whether we're dead is what he's saying. Well, live for Jesus. And then he begins to tell us how to do that. He's going to get very specific about how we ought to live. Some things we ought to be concerned about. So I'm going to give you three things tonight. There's several of them here. I want to talk to you about them in three ways tonight. Some things we ought to be concerned about. We ought not be apathetic. We ought not have a lack of interest or a lack of enthusiasm or a lack of concern, first of all, for our brethren. Now watch what he says. Wherefore, verse 11, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you also do. How do we go about that? And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And then he adds this, and be at peace among yourselves. Now the first thing he's going to mention when he's talking about the brethren, we ought to be concerned about the man of God. The man that God has put has put in a position of leadership over us. And you know, somebody say, well, uh, preacher, this, there's personality and there's this and that. None of that is what matters. What matters is that God has placed somebody in a position of authority in the church. It is the office that is to be respected, and the man is respected because he's in the office. Amen. i got a couple amens there. Some of you chew on that a little while. Now, watch what the Bible said. To esteem them very highly in love because you like them. To esteem them very highly in love because they never rub you wrong. To esteem them very highly in love because they have a winning personality. No. To esteem them very highly in love for their works. Say, you know, can I just stop and say this? We live in a world today that hates and despises any type of authority. I don't want to have any authority over me. Don't tell me what I can and what I can't do. But yet God has placed authority in the pulpit. God has placed authority in the office of the pastor. Also called, I think, the bishop. Also called, I think, the elder in the church. God has placed authority. All those things, all those three titles give a different view of what the office is supposed to be about. And so God has placed the pastor in the, an authority in the church. In Hebrews, Paul talked about them that have the rule over you. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls that they must be given account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. 
Now Paul's saying the same thing here. He said, if you'll esteem them very highly in love, if you'll know them, know about them, watch them, they're over you, if you'll esteem them highly in love for your work's sake, what will the result be? Verse 11 said, there'll be peace among yourselves. You ever notice, things don't run well if nobody's in charge. God always has, God always has a chain of authority. It is always that way. I've been a member of the Bean Blossom Baptist Church in Bean Blossom, Indiana for about 40 years. If you don't know where Bean Blossom is, it's south of Fruitdale, north of Nawbone, east of Piogi, and west of Bear Wallow. Just up the road from Greasy Creek and Salt Creek. And right up the road from the home of the Bill Monroe Bluegrass Festival. And I've been, and my pastor's been the pastor there. This summer we'll celebrate 50 years. He'll be the pastor. And I will say this to you in 40 years. I've never undermined him. I've never gossiped about him. I've never fought him. I've never, I've never said to him, no, we're not doing that, preacher. Are you listening now? And I have for 40 years been at peace with the man of God. That's a good thing right there. By the glory of God and help of God. So he tells us now we ought to care about our brethren and he starts with the man of God. But then he says this. He says in verse number 14, Now we exhort you, brethren, watch this now, warn them that are unruly. He's going to mention three things. Warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak. And then he'll put it all together like this. Be patient toward all men and see that none render evil for evil unto any man that ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. So he says to them, uh, warn the unruly. It means to be, it means to put them in mind. It means, it means to, uh, the unruly are those that are unarranged. They are insubordinate. They are not living the way they ought to live. And what do we do? We warn them. Uh, we don't warn them by taking them by the throat. We warn them by love. We warn them by caring about them. We warn them, let them know we love them. And then he said, comfort the feeble-minded. I've always wondered about this little phrase, the feeble-minded. I was looking it up, and one fellow called them the little-spirited. They are those that don't seem uh, to, to have, they have troubles catching the vision. They have trouble seeing things that others can see. And sometimes you have to help them see, and you have to bring them along, the little-spirited, and then support the weak. The, the, the idea here is to hold your, the word support is to hold yourself up against someone. Did you ever see somebody? I remember I had, uh, it's been several years ago now, I was up on the platform singing. I was at the, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the church back then. It's been changed to Crossroads Baptist Church. But I was up on the platform and we were singing and I, I had a mic in front of me on a stand and we were singing a song and in the middle of the song, I was looking at this preacher and I look, when I sing, I look at certain people because they smile. If you frown, I don't look at you. And I was looking at that preacher because he's smiling. All of a sudden, he began to move. Only he wasn't moving. He was moving. The pew was moving. The floor was moving. The wall was moving. I was having a vertigo attack in the middle of the song. Anybody ever had vertigo before? I'm telling you, everything is going around in circles. I grabbed the rail behind me and finished the song. And when we finished the song, I thought, i got to get down off this platform. And I started off the platform, and I started to collapse. And you know what the preacher did? He came up and supported the weak. He held himself up against me to see that I didn't fall. He used his strength to make up what was lacking in my strength. You know what would be good for us? Instead of looking at somebody that's weak and saying, I don't know what's the matter with them. I don't know why they can't hold up. I don't know 
why they can't be faithful. Why don't you use some of your strength and support them who have a lack of strength? Why don't you call them and say, hey, I'll pick you up for church. Hey, I'm praying for you. Why don't you do that? I remember I was preaching at the First Baptist Church in Melbourne, Michigan. And there was a lady who years before that had got out of church. She'd gone through some trouble in her family. And uh, she got out of church and, and revival was coming up. I didn't know about any of this till after the fact. But the ladies in the church had been burdened about her for years. And so they made a pact. They were going to start going by her house and calling her, trying to get her to come to revival. She didn't want them coming by. She didn't want them calling. She was weak in her faith. She backslid. Excuse me, on the Lord. And so they kept calling and they kept coming by. And finally, I didn't know this and the ladies didn't know this, but here's what she said. We found it out later. She said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go to church one night. I'll come in after it starts and I'll leave right at the beginning of the invitation. And they'll have to leave me alone. They want me to come to church. I'll go one night, but I'm not going to let anything touch me and I'm not going to let anything move me. And she did. She came in one night. We didn't know what was going on. She came in one night after the service had started and sat, I don't know, maybe about halfway down there was a place in the pew open and we went through the singing we went through the preaching and then when we started the invitation uh, she got up I had folks to bow their heads I was going to pray she got up and started out but one of those ladies saw her noticed her and so when I got done praying I looked up and there's two ladies on their knees in the middle of the aisle both of them weeping crying out to God here's what happened that one lady saw her get up and head out and she headed her off at the pass she got over there stuck her arm around her and said we're so glad you're here. We love you. We miss you around here. We've been praying for you. We're so glad to have you back. And I'm telling you, it broke that woman's heart. She got down on her knees right in the altar there and cried out to God and asked God, you know what that is? That's supporting the weak. That's comforting the feeble-minded. That's warning the unruly. Let's help one another. You ever see these races? Now, don't misunderstand me. We're all going to make it across the finish line. But you ever see these races where somebody falls and somebody else in the race doesn't worry about winning. They just stop and pick up the one that fell and help them across the finish line. Now, we're all going across the finish line. But if you see somebody fall, why don't you do this? Why don't you stop and pick them up and support the weak and help them along? That's what we all see. We get unconcerned. We say, well, it's me and mine that counts. Well, can I say something to you? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are. You are mine and I am yours. Uh, we belong to one another. We're brethren out of the same womb. We have the same Father. We have the same sweet Holy Spirit in us. Let us help one another instead of hinder one another. Do you have a lack of interest and concern for the brethren? I hope not. I hope you pray for one another. I hope you pray. I hope you call somebody once in a while. I hope you go by and see somebody and tell them you missed them at the house of God. Have a concern. Here's the second thing. We ought not have a be apathetic, have a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern about our blessings. Now watch what he says here. He says in verse number 16. Now we didn't deal much with see that none render evil for evil unto any man. But I'll leave that alone. We'll catch it next time. Look in verse 16. Watch what he said. Rejoice evermore. That, that kind of sounds like we're supposed to do it all the time. <laughs> Rejoice evermore. Evermore kind of feels like there's no ending. How much rejoicing you've been doing lately? Rejoice evermore. Well, I tell you, there's this and there's that. Hey, you're not going to hell. Are you listening now? You got a place reserved for you in heaven. You have a God that loves you and a Savior that died for you and a Holy Ghost that's indwelled you. You ought to be rejoicing. We're in pretty good shape tonight. 
Say, oh, preacher, you don't know my trouble. No, I don't. And you don't know mine, but I do know your God. And I know He's bigger than any trouble you have. He's big enough. You ought to just rejoice. Well, just rejoice in the Lord. Paul talked about it. He said rejoice in the Lord always. Just rejoice. There's great power in rejoicing. I remember there was a man in Lenore, North Carolina that I know, and he, he owned an adult bookstore in North Carolina in the city of Lenore. And, uh, his, his wife was saved. She's a Christian. She went to the house of God. He was unsaved and had that, had all that perversion there in that store and, and she got him to go to church one day. She said, I want you to go to church with me. So she, he went to church. They had a, they had a guest preacher and the preacher preached on hell. And she got him to go back the next time, but he said, I'm not going to church. I'm going to Sunday school. So he went to Sunday school. Guess what the Sunday school teacher taught on? He taught on hell. Three times in a row she got him to go to church and it was either the preacher or the Sunday school teacher was preaching or teaching on hell. And so then two of the men in the church said to her, we're going to come by and visit your husband. And she said, okay. She said, I'll try and, I'll try and get everything set up for you when you come. So they stopped across the street and they prayed and they're in the house and she said to him, she said to him, I'm not, I'm trying my best not to say his name because I don't want to embarrass him. But, uh, she, she said to him, now I got two men that are coming from church. They saw you at church. You met him at church. They're coming to talk to you about the Lord and I want you to be kind to him. And he said, all right. He said, when they come in, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up out of my, out my couch. I'm going to go out in the kitchen, the fridge. I'm going to get me a beer and I'm going to come back down and sit down and drink that beer in front of them. So they came in. She invited them in. He's sitting in the living room. They walked in and, uh, she said, she introduced those men to him. He, and he told this later. He said, I got up and tried to turn and I couldn't get myself to turn toward the kitchen. He said, I tried to and I could not turn toward the kitchen. So he said, I just sat back down. So the two of them went through the gospel with him and he got born again. And he went down to that, he went down to that bookstore and took everything he had on all them shelves and put it on the floor in the middle of the book store and started him a bonfire in the middle of the store and burned it all up. Every little, every little thing he had. Then he sold the building and he put, I don't understand this, but he put some kind of clause in it that it could never ever be used as an adult bookstore again. He sold that thing. But one day he's driving down the road with my preacher friend. My preacher friend is driving and, and this man is sitting in the, beside him and, and he said to my preacher friend, Brother Harris Smith, and he said, Brother Harris, he said, I, I tell you, he said, I got, I have seen such things, such awful things. I've looked at them and I've sold them. He said, I've seen such awful things. And he said, sometimes I can't get that stuff out of my mind. And he said, today is one of those days. He said, it's just like, it seems like it's rolling in my mind. And, this can't. And, and he said, I don't know what to do. And Brother Horace looked at him and said, why don't you thank God? He said, what? Why don't you thank God? Why don't you start thanking God for things? Why don't you start rejoicing? Why don't you start praising and see what happens? So that brother in that seat just thought out loud, just praising God, rejoicing in the goodness of God, praising God that he was saved, praising God that he didn't have to be involved in that anymore. And you know what happened pretty soon? He got victory over those old thoughts. The Bible said rejoice evermore. I remember Brother Billy Kelly. I'm stuck here, but it's all right. Sometimes the Lord wants me to get stuck somewhere. I remember Brother Billy Kelly telling about when he was young, a young married couple, and he said his wife, his wife had had a tumor, and she had to go to the doctor, and they found this tumor, and he was sure it was cancer. They did not say that it was, but he was sure it was. And he said, I, I went home that night. He said, I laid down in the bed, 
And he said, I had the most terrible dream. I dreamed that my wife had died. And he said, I'll tell you how, how real the dream was. He said, I smelled the flowers at the funeral. He said, I heard the sermon the preacher preached at the funeral. He said, I felt my little boy's hand in mine, squeezing my hand. He said, I heard my little boy's voice saying, when's mommy coming home? He said, I went through all of that. And he said, if you ever knew Brother Kelly, he's about six foot five and on a good day weighed about 400 pounds. And uh, he'd eat a pound of bacon and half a dozen eggs for breakfast. I, I saw him eat I saw him eat 12 dozen shrimp one time in one time. He, he knew how to eat. Well, he got up that morning. He was so distressed over that dream and over about what he was thinking about his wife. And his wife said, what would you like for breakfast? He said, I don't want anything. I, I can't eat a thing. Now, when Brother Kelly didn't eat, that's something bad wrong. And he said, I went out in the woods. I didn't know what to do. And he said, I remembered an old preacher saying to me, when you pray and it seems like the heavens are brass and you can't get a prayer through and you can't get any help, just start thanking God for everything thing you can think of. He said, I got down on my knees out in that thicket and he said, I couldn't think of anything. And all of a sudden I thought about my car. And he said, I started thanking God for every one of my spark plugs. I thanked him for every spark plug wire. I thanked him for the starter. I thanked him for the steering wheel. I thanked him for the brakes. I thanked him for the windshield wipers. I thanked him for the uh, chrome on the bumper. I thanked him for the paint job. I thanked him for the windshield. And he said, the more things I thanked him for, the more things I thought I ought to thank him for. And he said, I got to thank Thanking God. Now, I don't know if you understand this or not. I hope you understand this kind of language. But he said, I got up praising God and shouting hallelujah. And he said, that thicket got so big. It wasn't big for all four of us. Me and God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And he said, I went running through that wood shouting hallelujah, shaking hands with every bush in the woods. And he said, I come out and run in the house. And my wife said, what's wrong? He said, not a thing. Put the skillet on. Let's have breakfast. He said, Preacher, how did it start? Rejoice evermore. When I used to counsel with folks when I pastored, didn't matter what the, what we were dealing with, didn't matter what was going on, didn't matter what the problem was, we always started the same way. Every morning, when they got out of bed, had to write down ten things to praise the Lord for and to give thanks for every morning. Rejoice evermore. How's your rejoicing? You say, oh, Preacher, I'm kind of lackadaisical about it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Apathetic. A lack of concern. A lack of interest. A lack of enthusiasm. The Bible said that God, He inhabiteth the praises of Israel. You know how Israel got God involved? They got to praise Him. You know how you can get close to God? Rejoice evermore. You got a lot of things to be thankful for. You're like the little boy who got his words mixed up. And he was supposed to sing, uh, count your many blessings, name them one by one. And he got confused and he sang, count your many blessings, name them ton by ton. Yeah. Right. You have a lot to be thankful yeah. for. You think about it. You have a lot to be thankful. He said rejoice evermore. And then he said pray without ceasing. It means regular prayer. It means you pray about everything. You know, the Bible said over in the book of Philippians, it said be careful for nothing. It means be anxious. Be careful for nothing, to have care about it. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds by Christ Jesus. Have I ever told you about the stress buster? I, we were out in Maryland. And we were driving along, coming into Frederick on, on Route 15. And there was an Ames department store. They've all closed down now. 
They were going out of business. But they had a big sign that said, 75% off. That's where I like to shop. So we went in the Ames department store to find something. And as we were coming out, there was a table. We didn't find anything we wanted. But as we were coming out, there was a table set up. And they had things set on the table. And what they wanted you to do was see it on the way out and buy it by impulse. And so I walked by this box and I'm looking at all this stuff because I'm a candidate for that. And I, I looked at that. And here's a box, and it was backward. I could see the back of it, and it said on it, The Stress Buster. I thought, wow, that sounds interesting. So I turned it around to see what it was. You know what it was? It was a punching bag with a face drawn on it. And I figured out what you do is you take it home, put it in your garage or your basement, probably not your living room. And when you get stressed, you go out there and look at that face and, and you imagine it, that that face is the face of whoever it is that's causing your stress. And then you just go to wailing on them. That's the world's answer to stress. But I just quoted you God's answer to stress. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Pray about it. Have you prayed about it? Say, well, preacher, I tell you, there's nothing left to do but pray. No, wait a minute. That was the first thing we should have done. That was the most important thing to do. Let's pray about it. Let's pray about it. Let's pray and give. Oh, i got to be careful. i got a whole other sermon on that, and I'll preach it. And I'm not supposed to be on Toby Weber time. So pray without ceasing. And then watch this. He knows I love him. Verse 18, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, in everything, give thanks. In the middle of it, whatever it is, give thanks to God in the middle of it. You say, preacher, I'd like to know the will of God. Well, two times already this week I've told you what the will of God was. Your sanctification, that you possess your vessel in holiness, that was one. And now here's the second part of the will of God here in First Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5. He said, if you give thanks in everything, you'll be accomplishing the will of God. That's the will of God in you. So we ought to have enthusiasm about our blessings. We ought to be, we ought to have some concern. We ought to be concerned enough to thank God for what He has done, to look to God for what we need to have done, and to trust God even in the middle of something that we didn't want Him to do. Trust Him. Give Him thanks. Lord, I don't understand what this is all about. I remember when my sister-in-law the Lord took my sister-in-law home. It, and I have three brothers. They all live around the same place. And so whenever, and I'm never around there, so whenever I'm around, I always get called the other brother. They'll introduce me and they'll say, this is our other brother, Brian. I'm not sure what they mean by that. But the pastor in during the service, um, he said, uh, when my sister-in-law Went to be with the Lord. My, my, uh, brother Dave, he, he sang a song and then the pastor of the church said, we, we want to have brother Brian McBride come up and pray for us. He said, he's the other brother. Even the pastor said, but I got to praying and it struck me while I was praying. And I said, Lord, this is not what we wanted. This is not what we would have chosen. And Lord, we don't know why, but we do know you. We know you always do what's right. And so we're not going to try and figure it out. 
We're just going to trust you. It's going to thank him for being the God that he is. Who always does what's right. You say, well, preacher, I, I can't figure it out. Job couldn't either. But God was doing what was right. One day we'll get it. One day we'll see it. One day we'll understand. So we ought not be apathetic concerning our blessings. And then here's the last one. Watch what he says. Verse number 19. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. We ought not have a lack of interest or enthusiasm or concern with our behavior. We ought to be concerned about our behavior. How it affects, how it affects someone else. Did your, did your mother ever say this to you? You ought to think about your behavior, young man. Sometime you and I need to check our own behavior. The things that we do. Now look what he said. He said this. Here's how he explained it. He said, quench not the spirit. Don't get in the way of what the Holy Ghost is doing. I'm going to tell you what happened one time. I was preaching at a church in Virginia. And I saw something that I had never seen happen in 40 years in the ministry. I gave the invitation. A lady raised her hand that she needed to be saved. And she got up out of her pew and she took two steps toward the front and turned around and went back and sat down. I have never seen anyone ever do that. Not before or since. And I tried to think to myself, what in the world happened? Well, I no more than got out of pulpit and this man, red-faced and mad and angry, came in. And I had said something about the King James Bible, about it being the Word of God and stressing that. And he had a different version and he was mad. I'm telling you, he was mad. He was in my face. His face was red. He was screaming and shaking this, this Bible in my face. And he said this. He said, I was so mad over what you said. I had to go out and calm down before I came in. And I thought, if you have calmed down. And then I thought this. Somebody quenched the Spirit of God. Somebody grieved the Holy Ghost. The Bible said the book of Ephesians it said, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed under the day of redemption. You and I that are saved ought not grieve Him. But here Paul said we ought not quench Him. It's it, to quench is to pour water over something, to put it out, to slake the thirst. And Paul said, we better be careful not to quench the Holy Ghost of God. What would quench the Holy Ghost of God? Sin. Sin would quench the Holy Spirit. And then he said this, despise not prophesying. He's talking about the preacher again. He's talking about the man of God that gets up and preaches the Bible. Don't despise the preaching of the Word of God. Don't despise it. You say, well, preacher, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, that just didn't taste very good. Can I, I'll tell you a story. I got, I got a lot of stories. I'm getting old. I got a lot of stories. When I was a boy, you can't do it anymore because these big round balers have put us out of business. But when I was a boy, a good way to earn money in the summer was baling hay. I used to bale hay for, for, uh, for my uncle Bob Jensen. He baled square bales with wire binding. And he bailed all the time in third gear just as fast as he could go until we sheared a pin. Then we'd have to stop and put the new pin in. Then we'd go and you had to use hooks. And I'm telling you, it's a wonder I still have both my eyes because there'd be two of us on the trailer with hooks and we'd be going so fast we'd be throwing things everywhere. And then I bailed, I bailed for one of the, uh, one of the men in the church, Mr. Keckley. I bailed for him. They used round bales, but not the big ones, the little ones. And they would fall on the ground. You'd walk beside the wagon, pick it up. 
and throw it in the wagon and no two bales ever weighed the same. You'd pick one up and just barely get it in there and you'd pick the next one up thinking it's going to be like that and throw it clean over the wagon, have to go on the other side and pick it up. And then, I can't remember his name right now, his name has escaped me, but there's another man from the church that I bailed for him and he used, the way I liked it, he used square bales with binder twine and you just wore gloves and he didn't bail fast and I liked to bail for him but one day we were bailing, we'd been bailing hay and now we were bailing straw and I was on the straw wagon. I was, I was in high school, you know, I, I might have been 16 years old, I could drive, so 16 or 17, I'm on that hay, that, that wagon with straw and straw is slipperier than hay and we were going on this hill, on this hill and I'd fallen off the wagon two or three times, slid over there and I was dirty and filthy and it was hot and I got up there and, and, and I, I just, we come around the corner and here come his wife. I wish I could think of his name. You remember his name, Mama? Paul Carey. Here come Mrs. Carey. She'd come out. She'd bring food out there, and we'd eat out on the wagon. I'm going to tell you, she'd bring two or three different kinds of meats, and she'd bring taters, and, and she'd bring, I mean, she was a good cook. She had two or three desserts. She'd bring them out there. But that particular day, she brought out, she didn't have food. Now, I was looking for food because that's usually what she brought, but it wasn't time for to eat yet. But she'd come out in that old pickup truck, and she had this big bucket of something, and I couldn't tell what it was. And I come around, we come around there, and Mr. Carey stopped and turned off the tractor, and I, I climbed off of that wagon and walked over, and she had this metal pail, this old metal pail, and it was full of ice, and she had glass bottles of Dr. Pepper she'd had on ice. Now I'm going to tell you something. I despised Dr. Pepper. I always thought it tasted like medicine. Maybe it was some mental thing because it said doctor on it. I despised it. But I'm telling you, I'd been working. I was hot. I was thirsty. And I got off that wagon and I thought, I got to do something. And she popped the top on one of those and I tipped that thing up and drank the whole thing down. It was the best thing I had ever tasted in my life. You know why? I've been working. You know why sometimes the preaching don't do nothing for us? We haven't done anything to work up an appetite. We're not thirsty. We've gotten spiritually fat. We've been fed so good, and we haven't done one thing with it, and we don't need anything. But look at me now. You go down to work, try and win that co-worker to Christ, and you talk to him about the Lord, and he comes up with the oddest, most unusual question that you have ever heard in your life. He's got, a, he's got an answer for everything you say to him. And you're going to come to the house of God and sit up on the front of your seat saying, now, preacher, give me something. i got to have something. Yeah. i got to have something. When your family needs, they need the gospel, and you're going to sit on the edge of your seat, preacher. I need something now. Give me something. I need some strength. I need some help. I need some weapon. I need some ammunition. I need some firepower. You won't despise prophesying if you're trying to do something for God. Right. I'm trying to hurry now. It's too late. I'm on Weber time. Just forget about it. <laughs> Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesize, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. Prove everything. Prove it by the Bible. Make sure, make sure it's in the Bible. Make sure it's what the Bible says. And then abstain from all appearance of evil. Let me read you what, what Albert Barnes said about this little statement. He said, in certain instances, it may be certain that there will be no sin committed by abstaining, but there may be sin committed by indulging. Now think about this. Sometime you get in a situation, you say, I don't know whether I ought to do this or not. If you don't do it, there's no chance of sin. 
But if you do it when there's doubt, there's a good chance that you won't abstain from the appearance of evil. And here's what we're trying to do. We're trying not to throw a stumbling block in anybody's way. Trying not to. And if we think about others, we won't have it just the way we want to do it. We'll say, now I'm going to think of my brother. I'm going to think of him. My behavior. Now listen to what Paul says at the end and I'll be done. He said, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless on the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so glad this next verse is here. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. You say, preacher, are we going to be preserved blameless? We are. Paul said God be faithful to do it. But along the way, along the way, I don't want to be unconcerned. I don't want to have a lack of enthusiasm. I don't want to be characterized by somebody who has no interest in living for God and having a holy life. I want you to bow your heads a moment, will you? Will you bow your heads a moment? Faithless he that calleth you, who also will do it. I'm glad God's working on us and working in us and working for us and He's going to help us. I wonder tonight if you'd be characterized by apathy. If you'd have to be honest, if you'd have to be honest tonight, would you have to say, well, the Bible doesn't make much difference in my life. The preaching doesn't affect me much. The things, the things of God don't move me like they once did. I become apathetic. You know, there, there was a day, perhaps in your life, when the preacher would preach and you'd say, oh my, I gotta get this right. But now it's come to the place where you know, it'll be okay. It's not that big a deal. It doesn't make a difference. What is that? It's a lack of concern. It's a lack of enthusiasm. There was a day when you wanted to tell everybody how good God had been to you. But it's been a long time since you told anybody. We could put it this way. Fire's going out. Just embers left. Let's fan the fire tonight. You know what I would think tonight? I might, I might look at it this way. I might say, you say, well, preacher, God didn't speak to me, so I'm not coming to the altar. Well, let's look at it this way. Maybe we ought to come to the altar and find out why God didn't speak to us. Why there was no conviction. Why there isn't anything that bothers us. Maybe we ought to come and say, Lord, how come I don't think I need to change? How come I don't think I need help? How come I don't think I need to do better? Maybe that's what we ought to come to the altar about. Now, Father, you help us tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to search ourselves. And I pray you'd help us, Lord, to never be like we've talked about tonight, have a lack of concern. But I pray, Lord, we'd be on fire about the things of God. You said, Lord, lukewarmness would make you spew us out of your mouth. Help us to be hot and on fire about things. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name.